This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks. We have an absolutely packed program. We've got EPL to look back on and we have Champions League quarterfinals to look forward to plus Europa League quarterfinals plus that other one, which I think is called Conference Something quarterfinals. We might mention that and our three pundits today. Some are happy, some are sad. Um, one is very sad. Uh, we have, he is a Manchester United fan. I feel obliged to say that. He is Sean Mahotra. Hi, hi, everyone. Hope everyone had a great weekend. I know I did. <laughs> good, good. Uh, a guy who's medium happy. Uh, he uh, is a Liverpool fan. He is Azran Rosane. Hello, everyone. It was a decent weekend. No doubt about it. Excellent matches to watch. Uh, yeah, looking forward to more matches this week. And a man who's very unhappy. Uh, Leeds United fan, Nicholas Anil. Yeah, it started out great. It started out like a great Sunday. Went to church, you know. I had this whole wholesome Sunday. It didn't end so well. But let's move on. <laughs> okay. Well, no, well, we're not going to move on. We're going to dwell on it in a moment, but not just yet. <laughs> um, we're going to start with a match that uh, people are already calling a classic. It was Liverpool 2, Arsenal 2. Uh, along the way, Mohamed Salah missed a penalty and... Uh, it wasn't like it was saved. I mean, he missed it. And uh, it, it was a hell of a match, end-to-end stuff. Asran, okay, let's have you talk about it from the Liverpool perspective, but actually more important would be the Arsenal. But anyway, carry on. Okay. Uh, yeah, exactly. I think when the f- match first started, the first 20 minutes, it was, unfortunately for Liverpool, pan- Liverpool fans, uh, it was the insipid and tired performance that we have seen from Liverpool this season. Having said that, I know we had, I think for most Liverpool fans, we had a bit of hope because our home form has been decent. And in particular, Liverpool turns up for matches against the top six. Uh, The previous match at home was the 7-0 against United, of course. And what more against Arsenal, who have been walloped at at Anfield for the past few seasons. But uh, this is a new Arsenal. For me, they are the champions elect. Um, They started their stuff, created havoc, in particular the matchup of Gabriel Martinelli against Trent Alexander-Arnold. That was tough to watch for Liverpool fans in the first 20 minutes. And Virgil van Dijk, for me, uh, hasn't been the same since he came back from injury and post-World Cup. So hopefully, there's more to be seen from Virgil van Dijk. So the first goal, it was for me a, a, a catalogue of errors. Uh, we saw Virgil van Dijk rolling it up to Martinelli's path, who finished it with a plum. Uh, for the second goal, Martinelli was given far too much space uh, on, the, on that side. Uh, even Konate had to back Trent Alexander-Arnold. But that was a fantastic cross for Gabriel Jesus to head in. So 2-0 to Arsenal. Liverpool, first 20 minutes, absolutely awful. But some pointless aggression from Saka <laughs> riled Trent Alexander-Arnold up as well as the Enfield crowd. And you know there's no noise like the Enfield crowd, right? So then Liverpool bombarded Arsenal's goal and deservedly got their goal through uh, Mosala, through some good work by Curtis Jones on the left-hand side and Jota with a fortuitous touch by Jordan Henderson. And uh, at that particular point of time, Liverpool did not want the first half to end. Uh, they started the second half as they uh, finished this the first as well. Got the penalty, as you mentioned just now, Cam. Holding was quite careless, uh, but unfortunately, Mosala missed the penalty second in a row after he missed his first Premier League penalty against Bournemouth a couple of weeks back. But Liverpool kept at it and finally got the equaliser through a Bobby Firmino header. Excellent work down by the right uh, through uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. Excellent. I mean, he did a nutmeg for Zinchenko and then an excellent cross for Bobby to uh, head in. Even after that, Liverpool still had two excellent chances. Uh, Mo Salah had a curler that was fantastically saved by uh, Ramsey. And 
Konatis through his chest. Uh, Ramsdale, was, Ramsdale was excellent, uh, as he has been this season. So, the game was so open, I'm sure all the neutrals loved it. Mm-hmm. As a Liverpool fan, though, I was slightly disappointed that we could only draw. Uh, but I suppose we paid the price for starting the game so badly. Uh, and to claw from two goals down against the Champions elect. Again, I say Arsenal as the incoming champions, really, uh, is no easy feat. So, overall, decent result. For me, what's most important is the performance that Liverpool showed, the desire, uh, especially after coming down from 2-0 down. So, yeah. let's see. Okay. Next couple of match. Well, that, that was an excellent narrative there from an impartial uh, Asran <laughs> of how uh, Liverpool won 6-0. Um, by the sounds of things, <laughs> against Arsenal. Hey, uh, Sean, Arsenal. I think that I think it kind of showed that Arsenal are not. I mean, they're great, they're good, but they're not that good. And 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 it could be now that their title hopes are dashed because they're going to play City. If City also win their cu- upcoming game, um, I don't know. City, I don't know. It's just not looking good for Arsenal. I think. I mean. I think where Arsenal lost the game against Liverpool wasn't down to tactics and wasn't down to, to individual errors or whatever. I think it was all down to temperament at the end of the day. Asran said it, right? All it took was a clash between Trent and Saka to to change everything. You don't normally see that in the Arsenal team. They don't normally lose their, their edge, you know, but they lost their edge at Anfield. And that's why I was saying to so many Arsenal fans, it's not a clear-cut win at Anfield, it's going to be down to mentality. I think at the end of the day, you can say the ball is in City's court if they win their last nine games, they're champions. But that game at the Etihad between City and Arsenal is going to, in my eyes, be the decider. We've seen teams, I can say it as well, United were eight points ahead at the same stage at one point against City and ended up bottling the league against City. So... It's all down to me to that one game at the Etihad. Whoever wins that game is going to be champions. Six mm. points right now is is nothing. But that game will be the decider. That will be a cup final for both teams. Neither one can slip up right now. Well, speaking of six points, Nicholas, there was a six-pointer. Uh, a fight at the bottom of the league between Leeds and Crystal Palace, which ended up kind of amazingly as Leeds won Crystal Palace 5 and I bet you were watching that at the end of the first half. You were thinking, well, wow, pretty good. I think Leeds are going to win this one. The second half was an absolute joke. The Leeds United fans clearly thought so because they started leaving midway through the second half. And it was an implosion that was so... I, I still can't find the words to describe it. You know, you, like you mentioned, they started off uh, strongly. They had a, couple, a lot of chances uh, to at least score two goals. Uh, but to be hit by that equalizer just before the first half was damaging. But you had the entire second half with the Allen Road faithful, you know, to go and find for more goals. But instead, they capitulated so, so badly, conceded three goals within the first 10 minutes. And the manner in which the goals were conceded, it was it, it was an absolute farce. I, I just cannot understand the defending, you know, at times from, from Leeds. For all their dynamism, you know, on the flanks through Jack Harrison, uh, Luis Sinistera and even uh, Wilfred Noto, uh, they, they don't seem to be able to defend. Uh, they lose concentration in vital periods and they seem to just crumble, you know, after one goal goes in. And it was the case against Palace, you know, they just look absolutely lost. What about this young manager called Roy Hodgson, who I think we've all can agree now must be in the running to be Barcelona's next manager? What What is going on? For sure, he knows Crystal Palace inside out. He's been perfect. Two wins. I mean, Palace hadn't got any back-to-back wins since, what, last year? And again, as soon as he's appointed, they've won back-to-back. 
Um, again, probably his selection. Uh, Sam Johnston hasn't played. He started Sam Johnston uh, as a goalkeeper against Leeds and Sam Johnston on the first half. I think what Nick mentioned is Leeds probably deserved to go 2 or 3-0 up in the first half, but Sam Johnston was the barrier between them and those goals. Uh, and after that, uh, as exactly what Nick mentioned, they capitulated. Uh, Michael Olise. Wow, what a performance from Michael Olise in the second half. What, three assists in the space of 10 minutes. Uh, easy, easy win for Crystal Palace. And I think it's about uh, Hodgson really knowing his players, knowing his team. Probably he knows all these players inside out. And again, all of us thought, what an appointment when they selected uh, Hodgson um, after Palace decided to part ways with Vieira. But it seems to be a masterclass. They seem to be slightly safe at this point of time. And um, let's see if they can make it three on the trot. Yeah. So Crystal Palace uh, cement their place in 12th. I think they've been 12th since day one of the the, the season. Um, we're going to take a break, though. I'm going to come back to some other shock results in the English Premier League here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Just for Kicks with Sean, Asran, and Nick. And now, Sean, um, I, Wolves won Chelsea nil. Frank Lampard, I don't know. They looked like a, it looked like a Frank Lampard team to me. Two things stood out. One was it was just a Frank Lampard team. I'm not, not even quite sure what that means. They're just rubbish in defense. But also the goal by Nunes. Oh, it's funny. You can tell a lot about a team through a press conference with a manager, right? Frank Lampard before the game was saying he'd only had two training sessions with the team. You know, he's he's not used to the things yet. He needs a bit more time. When you hear things like that, you're already creating excuses for the players, right? You're already creating an excuse that, hey, you know what? If we lose, we didn't have time, whatever, right? Biggest mistake Frank Lampard did was starting with a back four. That Chelsea team cannot play with a back four. Mark Cucurella cannot play as a left back. And Reese James cannot play as a right back, right? That's the first error there. Again, starting Kai Havertz as a number nine doesn't make sense. Mudrik, yeah, he hasn't performed, but not starting him in a game like this doesn't make sense. Wolves are the joint lowest scorers in the league. Keep that in mind, right? You could say it was a Frank Lampard performance, but I saw no difference from a Graham Potter team there. Even with different tactics, different positions, everything... It was the same exact performance from the Chelsea team. In 95 minutes, they had one shot on target. One, right? You can say Wolves had one shot on target too, but it was a goal. Mm. <laughs> and in my eyes, probably the goal of the season was Van Basten-esque. One of the best goals you'll ever see. He had no right to score from there. Nunez with an unbelievable shot, right? The thing is, you can say both teams pretty much cancelled themselves out in terms of how drab the game was. But the thing is, if you look at how Wolves played, you saw a team that was more hungry, a team that was more, you know, they felt like they had something more to fight for. You look at Chelsea, you could say there's nothing they have to fight for in the league anymore. They can't win in the league. They can't qualify for the Champions League. But go out there and fight for something, you know. You, you have a new manager bounce. You bring Frank Lampard back. You have the fans on your side. You don't muster up anything. No, 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 no will to at least try in the game. Wolves team who's fighting quote-unquote relegation in that that zone at the moment, showed way more desire. But on paper, that Chelsea team should have won. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Nicholas, are we looking at... I mean, we often watch very badly uh, run clubs. Chelsea under new ownership. I, I mean, this is a textbook. It's terrible what they're doing, isn't it? It's it's absolute shambles. You know, I was I was reading up on, on this whole Graham Potter sacking. 
and it it it, it turned out that Graham Potter wasn't sacked by Chelsea owner Todd Gurley. Rather, he was given the boot by two of Chelsea's sporting directors who were brought into the club in February this year. I, I, I'm, I'm just absolutely baffled. You know, this is top management elite football. How could you leave such a huge decision to sack a manager in the hands of two directors who have barely known the club, who have barely known the, the manager. They've just come in less than two months ago and they had been given the mandate to get rid of Porter. Now, I don't think that Porter's uh, appointment was right in the first place, but it happened. And when it happened, he was obviously supposed to be given time. I thought he was sort of turning a corner with their three uh, games in a row, which Chelsea won just before they lost to Aston Villa. But then, you know, it was a knee-jerk reaction right after that. Um, and I think Todd Bowley at this point, you know, is just going with the flow. He's, he's, he obviously doesn't know elite football management. He's not from a footballing culture. He's come from the from, from America where, you know, uh, everything is results-based and, and reactions can be knee-jerk and can be spontaneous. But look look at what it's done to Chelsea. The, the obvious uh, factor behind trying to get Frank Lampard back is... You know, his connection with the club, you know, his absolute pedigree and, and his success as a player. And of course, maybe he was a little bit hard done by in his first first stint as a coach. But to bring in a, a manager that has not really achieved anything much, you look back at the first Chelsea second and he obviously didn't do well at Everton as well. So they, they're riding on a lot of emotion and I don't think it was the right appointment. And it was very, very clear in the loss to Wolves. Like Sean pointed out, they were not hungry. You know, they were not receptive to to any sort of of uh, challenge. Beat, beat in defense. The the midfield was absolutely flat, and they don't have a recognized striker. Again, they went with Kai Howards, who's been starved of any sort of service. Uh, Lampard did bring in Abu Mayang, and you know. He obviously didn't have enough time to create any of an impact. But if you look at this Chelsea team, they're made up of superstars. You know, players like Howard, players like Sterling, like Yao Felix, they don't just turn bad overnight. So it's it's not really the team, it's it's the management on top. And when that's that's in shambles, it automatically trickles down to the team. And I think yeah. that's exactly what's going on in Chelsea. Yeah. And yet I bet, and we'll talk about this later, they will beat Real Madrid and win the Champions League. <laughs> Uh, Asran, meanwhile, Manchester United 2, Everton nil, and it took forever for United to score. But I was also thinking, as I was watching it, actually, has dice ball ever worked? Well, no. it, it it has worked probably at home. Uh, again, at Old Trafford, as you can see during the game, it was a matter of time of when United would score, right? Uh, the only thing that kept United at bay was Jordan Pickford. And again, United had the opportunity opportunity to play some of their now squad players. You saw Harry Maguire playing, Aaron Wan Bisaka, uh, McTominay, Anthony. Uh, and uh, during this game, I think Anthony had a number of chances while Pickford saved a number of them. Uh, there was one particular chance that uh, Pickford put it to the post and Wan Bisaka all had to do was tap it from three yards and he still missed. <laughs> but at the end of the day, uh, I think they broke their deadlock through Scott McTominay, who has been in goal-scoring form. I mean, he scored four goals in two games against Cyprus and Spain uh, in the international during the international break, right? So uh, McTominay scored, and 
finally after that, uh, Sean Coleman made a mistake, slipped for Rush, uh, Marcus Rashford to slip it into Anthony Marshall for the second goal. So overall, it was quite a straightforward win for Manchester United. I think uh, for Eric Ten Hag would probably be the best thing to happen. He was able to rest a couple of players and can concentrate on the upcoming games in uh, Europe as well as uh, the next couple of matches in the league. So uh, all smiles for United, except for the fact that I think Marcus Rashford probably hobbled off injured. I'm not so sure how bad that injury is, but yeah, that was probably the only blip uh, during the game for United. Okay, uh, Sean, I was going to let you not, I was going to make you not talk about Manchester United, but okay, uh, let you have your moment uh, because there are a lot of Manchester United fans out there. And should these fans now be thinking, well, the future is going to be fantastic because uh, what's it? Casemiro was not there, was he? And, and, and they still managed to do something. I mean, in hindsight, that's a very easy thing to say, you know, but before this, United went three games without a goal for the first time in, in eons. Casemiro is vital to the team. Yes, United got past Everton at home. You know, you know, United fan can say that they're too worried. One game lost at home all season. Third fewest goals conceded in the league at home. Only behind City and Arsenal. So the confidence was there. The team played really well. I think after the, the three games before that in the league, you needed a big bounce back. And they, they had a big bounce back. So, I mean, before Brentford at least. And team played really well. I was saying to my mates that... Rashford could have had a hat-trick in the first half. Anthony could have had a hat-trick in the first half. But Jordan Pickford decided to become full-on Manuel Neuer in the game, as he always does against United. But United deserved their win. And I, I can say that, you know, I'm not trying to get overconfident or whatever, but United are going in the right direction with the talks of new owners and everything. It's a, it's a good time to be a United fan. In the mm-hmm. semifinals of the FA Cup, in the quarterfinals of the, the Europa League against Sevilla, like Asran said, the biggest worry is losing Marcus Rashford because he's been the biggest you know, source of goals for United. It looked like a groin injury. There's been no update on the severity of the injury. But the team needs to pull through now. You know, there's there's a number of games to go. Martial's back. Eriksen is back, which we didn't talk about. Casemiro will be back after this as well. So there are more positives to look at than there are negatives. So I'm I'm cautiously optimistic. Whoa. Well, we haven't heard that from a Manchester United fan for, what, 10 years? More? I don't know. Um, since eternity, Kevin. Yeah, since like eternity, isn't it? Uh, Nicholas, meanwhile, Tottenham Hotspur 2, Brighton 1. A very important match. Uh, both teams really fighting for the opportunity to get into Europe. And Spurs stay in touching distance. They... Uh, were terrible last week and then they were kind of okay this week I don't know Harry Kane to the rescue uh, Son great goal I mean they were they were okay weren't they Spurs yeah but this this was another explosive game you know you think uh, Arsenal Liverpool was uh, exciting those who watched this game would would have thought you know this this could have even topped that uh, just because of the the drama that it created you know it all started right before the match when a Deserby was actually wagging his finger at Christian Stellini and it actually stemmed from the fact that he thought Stellini had disrespected him prior to this match. And then it blew up, right? It absolutely blew up chances uh, for both sides. Brighton, I thought, were extremely unlucky. They had the ball in the net three times, um, none of which were given. The worst of which was that blatant foul on Mitoma, uh, which were deemed to have... um, to have, uh, you know, uh, had no consequences and ultimately not given. So Spurs, for me, wrote their luck because Brighton were more incisive when they were going forward. They were more direct. And as a result, 
they had the ball in the net three times, two of which I thought should have been a goal. I didn't see anything wrong with that Danny Welbeck goal. Uh, that first Mitoma goal, which was chopped outside, yeah, he was a judge to have used his hand. That one I can understand. But that, that final goal, you know, that, that final uh, penalty incident where he was hacked by Christian Romero and ultimately not given. And then Spurs go and uh, counter-attack and score through Harry Kane. Uh, so it, it actually is a good start for Christian Stellini. I said this last week. Uh, Stellini is already accustomed to this Spurs uh, uh, team. You know, he's he's managed the team in the time that Conte was out with gallbladder uh, surgery. And he had won all his games. And there was a reason why Spurs had not... Uh, the Spurs board had not gotten rid of him when you know they gotten they got rid of Conte. They obviously saw something in him, and it 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 showed. It really showed. It, it, it was it, it was unfortunate for Brighton though. Uh, but this game had everything: goals, two red cards for De Zerbi and Stellini. Um, but for me, it was a snatch and win by by Spurs. I mean, yeah. uh, sorry to interject, but. Hmm? I said this a few weeks ago and I, I hate harping on it and I think uh, Des does it as well. Again, it's down to, to officiating, right? VAR got calls wrong. It was mayhem in the game and the fact that Brighton only got an apology from the PGMOL is it's ridiculous. There's no visible actions being taken against officials. I mean, you can also touch on what happened in the Liverpool-Arsenal game about how Andy Robertson got elbowed in the face yeah, exactly. by, by a linesman. Where are all these, 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 these actions being taken? Why is nothing made public? When it becomes problems with the managers or players, it's all made public. But when it's the officials, nothing is being said. Oh, football fans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Asran, finally, I want to I want to go. I know as a Liverpool fan, you don't pay much attention to the bottom of the league, but there are teams down there. Leicester nil, Bournemouth one, important six pointer. And Leicester, Leicester, we must bear in mind, are actually now finding those, themselves in the situation they they always have been historically, and it's looking very bad for them. Yeah, unfortunately for Leicester, losing a manager. And this game, as you mentioned just now, Cam, it's a six-pointer. We spoke about earlier about the other six-pointer, Leeds playing at home and losing. Uh, this is similar. Again, Leicester are in serious trouble. I think throughout the start of the first half as well, we saw that uh, Phil Philip Billing was constantly troubling or threatening Leicester. But finally, the goal, how he got the goal, was a really unfortunate mistake from James Madison. Again, out of all the players... Probably the most composed of all Leicester players was the one who made that silly back pass for Philip Billing to intercept and put it into the net. And the problem with Leicester after that is they never looked like scoring. Perhaps they had a chance at the end uh, through uh, Nacho, uh, but that was uh, well saved. Again, I think the troubling thing for Leicester is they are devout of ideas at this point of time. And um, yeah, again, one, one funny thing for me at least is after the match, it was tough to watch for Leicester. And after the match, uh, Madison, James Madison, who was the one who made the mistake, was actually the one selected for uh, the post-match interview. And that was tough to watch. Again, he was, you can tell he was down, his body language, he was absolutely distraught. I'm not so sure why they still selected him. I think this goes towards, um, when we mentioned about La Chelsea being mismanaged, I'm not so sure what's happening uh, in, in Leicester's um, boardroom as well. Yeah. Something's not so right. And yeah, there's absolute serious trouble. They look like, uh, again, they started the season badly, they picked up, and now they are back where they started. So Leicester looks like in deep trouble. So one thing out of this that I realize is 
we spoke about how Matthews Nunes uh, scored uh, against Wolves. I mean, he's the record score, record signing for Wolves. He would probably be one of those players coveted by the other players should Wolves go down. Similarly, mm. I think James Madison, I mean, I think all the other clubs would probably look at the stars of these clubs that are in trouble uh, and see who can fit in into their plans next season. Yeah. So if Leicester go down, a number of these stars, I, one of I them th- is Madison. I Poole. think a number of these clubs, if they, when, if they go down, the players that are going to come into the market are going to be astonishing. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Okay, uh, we're going to take a break now. When we come back, it's European action here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks with Nicholas Anil, Asran Rosane and Sean Malhotra. And now, Sean, we're going to be doing Champions League quarterfinals and we're going to go through all the matches. I think some of them pretty mouthwatering. Uh, some of them, uh, I don't know. Anything with Inter Milan is usually for me not. Yes. But uh, Benfica, Sean versus Inter Milan. A lot of people have been saying that Benfica's uh, a dark horse, not to be dismissed. Inter Milan, I think, probably one of the most boring purveyors of football ever historically. Uh, uh, what do you think? Inter have been having a horrid time in the league. I think they've gone three or four games without a win. They look devout of ideas. They'll be happy that they can have Lukaku for this game since he was wrongfully red-carded against Juventus. But Benfica are on and up. But they'll look at their their last game in the league where they lost to arch-rival Sporting as a, as a blip. But in the Champions League, they've looked bright. And this is a great game for them to be going into because, like you said, right, you can look at Italian teams and they have a history of being quite boring to watch. The one exception being the Napoli team now, which we'll talk about later. But Inter have continued that that streak of being devout of ideas, boring to watch, lacking uh, uh, any form of creativity. Whilst you look on the other side, Benfica create chances at will, at least in the Champions League, right? They create chances at will, free-flowing football, scoring goals for fun. Inter will be be very wary of these things, right? They normally operate with a back five, as most Italian teams do. They'll be trying their level best to be keeping a certain Goncalo Ramos quiet. If he is given the time and space, he will hurt this Inter team beyond belief. My my point of view is that Benfica are going to walk all over Inter in this game. Mm. And that's crazy for me to say because Inter are the, you know, Serie A defending champions and whatnot. Or is it AC or whichever? It's but, Milan. It's yeah, Milan. sorry, Milan. But Inter have become a shadow of the team that they used to be, which is, you could say, a, 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 a repeating factor when it comes to them. My idea is Benfica walk through this tie. Well, uh, in which case, I guess uh, Inter could always get back um, Roy Hodgson and, <laughs> and, and things would turn around. Um, Nicholas, Nicholas Anil. I think, the well, obviously the most mouthwatering is... Man City versus Bayern Munich. I I haven't really been following Bayern, uh, and it's always a shoe in, just sort of tick. You think, okay, Bayern, but are they uh, are they Bayern of old? Yeah, Bayern in transition. Obviously, with you know that whole Nagelsmann out, out Tuchel in, you know, it's now adapting to Tuchel's tactics. Uh, you know, he's his own ideology. Um, he's just taken over not too long ago. Started off really well, you know. They they beat uh, Dortmund four two, but then uh, they got knocked out by Freiburg in the German Cup, and that was a damaging blow because Bayern. Uh, it was actually a home game for Bayern, um, and so I think it's already pressure for Thomas Tuchel, uh, you know, uh, with with his Bayern team because you know he's 
he's still getting to know his team and Man City has come arriving and you know it's going to be a tough tough away match in Manchester for, for Bayern Munich uh, having said that I think this could be one of the most uh, tasty ties of the of, of this uh, last eight you know you've got both teams who are not shy in front of goal uh, Bayern Munich have obviously come through and such a huge win uh, knocking PSG um, and City are going great guns as well you know their last uh, uh, Champions League match I think they won by an 8-1 aggregate uh, but for me it, it's all up to Bayern you know to try and minimize the scoreline and perhaps try and get an away goal or two away goal does not really count or make a significance anymore but it could prove crucial uh, just for their belief heading back to the um, uh, return leg. Now, Bayern are slightly depleted in attack because uh, they don't have Chupomoting. He's injured. So they might go with a makeshift uh, centre forward either with uh, Serge Nabri uh, or even uh, Thomas Muller. But you also have to look at you know who, who has replaced Lewandowski uh, since you know the big move to Barcelona, and the answer is nobody. Chupomoting has yet to to really you know produce that goal scoring heroics that that Lewandowski has always delivered. And Sadio Mane, Sadio Mane has not had the greatest of starts since moving from Liverpool. He was obviously injured, which meant he couldn't feature in the World Cup. And he 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 was one of the main reasons why I think Nagelsmann left as well. You know, there was that huge fallout. Um, and, you know, as a result, I think Mane has got a big point to prove. So if he plays, you know, he knows the City side in and out. And, you know, he, he could be the difference. But for me, it will definitely be advantage City because we all saw what um, Erling Haaland did to... Uh, Southampton at the weekend. I don't think he'll be afforded that much time and space, but he will cause damage if given the opportunity. Yeah. So, Asran, eventually Pep Guardiola has got to get over himself in the Champions League. Uh, and I, I personally don't, I don't see the eventual winner coming out of this tie. Great names that they are. Um, it just doesn't feel right. But do you, do you think this will be a clash of titans that will go on to win? Well, so far, if you look at it, Anybody that beats Real, Real Madrid are the, is the team that goes on to win the uh, Champions League for the past couple of seasons. So uh, on that side, we've got, after this, we've got, obviously we're going to preview Real versus Chelsea. But against City and um, Bayern, as Sean mentioned, are a game of two teams that are absolute fire. However, again, don't let's not forget or discount the other side of the equation, which is the revival of the Serie A. And I think the next match, which we're going to preview, which is Napoli against Milan, is as mouth-watering as uh, Bayern versus City. Again, as you can imagine, similar to probably the Malaysian League, uh, the Serie A, unfortunately, this season is a battle for second. However, it's a really, really tight battle for second where we've got Lazio, Roma and the two Milan teams, Inter and Milan. Uh, they are still up for it, for second place. And Milan, they had beaten Napoli a couple of weeks ago. I think last last week, in fact, uh, they beat Napoli at in Naples 4-0. So anything can happen. Milan are the defending champions. They haven't played that well this season. But for one-off matches, they can definitely produce. And this is what was shown in Napoli last week, uh, where we thought it was going to be a showcase of uh, Kvaradona, Kvaratskelia. But in fact, Rafael Liao stole the show. And Rafael Liao, I think this was what was expected of him because last year he was Serie A's player of the season. This season, it hasn't been all fire for him. But... If he shows that performance, that what he did against Napoli last week, anything can happen. And again, 
this is huge for Serie A because they are expecting at least one team to go to the final. Depending on what happens during the Benfica against Inter game, we can perhaps see either a Derby della Madonnina, which is the Milan derby in the semi-finals, or a Napoli-Inter match, which is absolutely great for Serie A. Hopefully, this will be, uh, again, uh, a sign of things to come because Serie A, I think uh, we've mentioned it a couple of uh, times in this show, uh, Sean mentioned uh, it's it's going out from the slow-paced tactical masterclass that it was to something more appealing, more exciting uh, for the masses. Even the highlight show uh, is is more appealing nowadays because last time, if you can remember, the highlight show of Serie A was probably the most dull and boring out of all highlight shows. They need to do better and I think now their sports marketing team of Serie A is doing slightly better, of course. Yeah. So, Sean, I'm, and, I'm, and I'm giving you a lot of Italians to talk about this uh, this time. I, I'd like you to carry on with, with the AC Milan-Napoli because I want Napoli to win. I mean, the whole thing. And tell me it's going to happen. I think it's going to happen. I, I've said this from the very start that I my favourites for the Champions League are still Napoli. Not because, you know, they're the best team in the competition, but they look like a team that play a very different style of football. Asran said, you know, it's a one-off, right? But it's not really a one-off because there's still two legs in this game. One is going to be playing Naples, one is going to be playing Milan. Over two legs, with the significance at hand for, for Napoli, I think it would be their... their first semi-final if they were to win in the Champions League and everything they have a lot riding on this right they pretty much already won the league right you can say that the loss to Milan was a a big blip last week you know a big big blip blip. but over two legs I can't see Napoli losing it they've they've been so consistent in the Champions League they've put I, I would say put all their eggs in one basket in the Champions League because they have this belief that they can go on to win it not saying that, you know, Milan have no chance in this game or whatever because the two teams that pretty much know each other inside out. But Napoli as a whole, from back to front, defensively solid, creatively beautiful to watch, and they've got a beast up forward, Victor Osimhen, who will be licking his lips at the potential of, of you know, writing his name in, in folklore. In folklore for Napoli, you have the mm. likes of Maradona. Maradona. <laughs> and then there's everyone else, yeah, yeah. right? It's just Maradona and everyone else. Ozyman can put his name up there, along with the other man whose name I cannot pronounce. Right? Yeah, I was, was going to say... Asran ex- did great just now. I yeah, don't know yeah. how he did it, but he did great. I think let, let, let's call him Kvaradona from now on. Kvaradona, man. right? Okay. So I still go with the, the, the idea that Napoli will do really well over two legs. I think the first leg will, will be a, a close knit affair. Second leg, Napoli will take it easily. Okay. So, uh, Nicholas, meanwhile, Real Madrid versus Chelsea. Uh, Real Madrid, the reason why Leeds play in white, I believe, or it's not the other way around, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I I just, I don't know. Chelsea are so bloody-minded. I really can see them winning the Champions League. But it, it would go against it would go against history, wouldn't it? I mean, it's just Real Madrid just win the Champions League, don't they? Yeah, I mean... The, the, the aim for Frank Lampard between now and end of the season is to try and get Chelsea to progress as far as possible in the Champions League. Um, but, but, you know, they are up against the European heavyweights who have navigated every single encounter in Champions League history and come up tops. So, it's it's going to be... The, the, the battle that they face, it's... it's it's, it's more than an uphill battle. But Frank Lampard, for me, has an advantage in, in this sense because 
at this point, there is nothing dramatic tactically or, or you know, working with, with, with players individually to change their gameplay. There isn't any wholesale change he could bring between now and the end of the season. But what he could do, and I think this is an advantage to him, is his ex- using his experience as a player to try and inspire Chelsea. Remember, Lampard guided Chelsea to uh, their Champions League glory back in 2012. And it, it's very reminiscent to their season now because in 2012, Chelsea were also going through a transition. They were performing really well in Europe. They were not doing well domestically. And they had a new manager which came on to take the reins on a temporary basis, but ended up guiding them to the Champions League title. And that guy was Roberto Di Matteo. Now, the reincarnation of that is Frank Lampard. And Frank Lampard was the captain uh, more than a decade ago. So if I I was, I were to put myself in his shoes, I would try and derive as much inspiration for my playing time to try and inspire this bunch of Chelsea players to just go out and give their best against Madrid because they're ultimately going into this match as absolute underdogs with pretty much uh, nothing to lose, especially the first leg being an away leg. So for me, Lampard just has to bring out that experience and, you know, just inspire his players. Because like I said earlier, this Chelsea team are not made up of, you know, a bunch of dads. They are all world-class players who have just, you know, forgot how to perform and he just needs to inspire them. So uh, Lampard will play a crucial, crucial role. But having said that, Madrid on home turf with Benzema scoring a hat-trick to inspire uh, Madrid to 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 beat Barcelona in the uh, Copa del Rey semis uh, is going to be really really hard to contain. Okay, so very quickly, guys. Um, obviously, it's two legged affair, uh, so upsets can be in turn upsetted. But uh, do we see any upsets here, uh, Asram? In in this, no, these uh, ties, I, I all don't the ties. Think so. For me, I think Real Madrid will overcome Chelsea easily. Probably the one that's most balanced I see is probably those two matches that we spoke about just now. Those two mouth-watering ties between Bayern against City as well as Napoli against Milan. And as much as Benfica is so solid in the Primera, in the uh, Portuguese league as well as how they've performed the Champions League so far, I think Inter will probably have the necessary nows or know-how uh, to get to the semi-final. So no major upsets, uh, if you call it, because, again, those two matches are really, really balanced and anyone can make uh, between uh, Napoli-Milan as well as Bayern and uh, uh, City. So, Sean, which one should we stay up late to watch? Oh, definitely, without a doubt, Bayern against City. I think that's the biggest tie in the balance where you can't really call an all-out winner. So I think that would be the most fun one to watch. Unless, of course, you want to see Chelsea's downfall, then, you know, you just watch Real Madrid against Mm -hmm. Chelsea. They're going to win, I tell you. I tell you, it's going to happen. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to carry on with Europa League and the other European league in a moment here on Anson uh, Malaysian Football here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to part four of Just for Kicks uh, with Sean, Nicholas and Asran. And now, Sean, it's the Europa League which Manchester United are in. I don't think they'll be in it next season. They should be in the Champions League. But for this week, uh, they're going to be playing against Sevilla. Perennial Europa League winners, uh, just as 
Real Madrid are in the Champions League. Uh, Manchester United playing pretty well. They they should they should have this one, shouldn't they? I'd love to say that. I would love to say that. But like you said, Sevilla are accustomed to being in this position and they've gone on to normally win the Europa League from this position. With a new manager now, they've been struggling badly in their league. But mm. the Europa League, like I said, it's, it's, it just brings out the best in their players, right? United will be looking at the fact that Marcus Rashford probably won't be fit for this game. Luke Shaw might not be fit for this game. It's a tough one. It's a tough one. The first leg is at home. And United have shown that they can beat pretty much La Liga at home already this season in the likes of Betis and Barcelona. So United are facing another La Liga team. I'm, again, cautiously optimistic because these players the last few weeks have been showing wear and tear. They've been looking tired and talking about United players here. There is a worry. Yes, Ericsson is back. Yes, Casemiro is back. Yes, Martial is back, which is all fine and dandy. But certain players are looking tired. And that's my biggest worry. I think it's going to be a very cagey affair. You know, you can say Sevilla's form in the league can play a factor in this game. But I don't think so. I don't think it's going to be a cakewalk for United in this game. I think it's going to be a very, very tight game, close game. I think United skin it maybe 1-0 or 2-1. But that return leg in Seville is going to be a big one. But I think United just skin it in this one. Uh, Sean, would you take uh, top four in the league at the end of the season or, uh, or a win in the Europa League? I'll take a win in the Europa League. Because <laughs> yeah. you get an auto... The, the best part about oh, winning the... Yeah. No, no. The, the best part about winning the Europa League is not only do you automatically qualify for the Champions League, but you qualify as a top seed. You know, you get into the first pot. So you don't have to worry about facing the so-called bigger names and everything like that. So I would definitely take a trophy and being a top seed in the Champions League over top four. Oh, okay. So they're going to take this one seriously then? I, I definitely... Ten Hag has shown every cup game he's played his best team. So right. I would pretty much assume so. Well, uh, Azran, meanwhile... Uh, sorry, there are so many uh, uh, matches happening in the Europa League. Uh, we have Juventus versus Sporting, Bayer Leverkusen versus Union Saint Gilwas, I believe, of Belgium, and yep. Feyenoord versus Roma of Mourinho. So pick one. Yeah, so I think uh, what Sean mentioned is now, even though he's not that straightforward, he doesn't believe it's, it's a straight, easy game for United, but Seville this year is not the typical Seville, unfortunately. I mean, Sevilla, we know that they are perennial Europa League winners, but this is a different Sevilla, I, I, at least from what I've seen in the La Liga. So I don't see, and even they struggled over the weekend compared to United, who really won easily against Everton. So for me, I do see United going through. Probably the tie of the uh, of the round for me, as you mentioned just now, uh, Cam, is the Feyenoord-Roma game. Because Feyenoord has been playing really well this season. They're leading in the Eredivisie now uh, by quite a margin after outplaying Ajax in both games and uh, again playing really well against PSV Eindhoven. So uh, they are probably going to win the Eredivisie. And Roma, we know uh, Jose Mourinho is a perennial or serial winner. He knows how to win ugly, he knows how to win dirty. And at this point of time, Roma is in a battle for, again, we spoke about Serie A being a battle of second. At this point of time, they're still there. Roma, Lazio and the two Milan teams are, are all at it. So, this is going to be the tie of this particular round, Afeno against Roma. So, for me, whoever wins this would probably, well, again, we also have Juventus, who have nothing to play for in, in the Serie A. They, they are playing against Sporting. So, I foresee 
really balanced tie between Feyenoord against Roma. Juventus easily going through. United beating Sevilla. And um, the other pretty balanced tie is between uh, Leverkusen and uh, Union Saint-Gilloise, as you mentioned, <laughs> from uh, Belgium, who uh, did pretty well in the uh, previous uh, leg when they uh, beat... Um, who did they beat Union again? Ber- Union Berlin. Exactly, Union Berlin, who's doing well in uh, the uh, Bundesliga. So... That's also evenly matched. So we've got two matches that I see a clear winner and two matches that are evenly tied, quite pretty similar to the Champions League. So it's quite interesting. I mean, Europa League is something that is worthwhile to watch on a Friday morning, early Friday morning for us. Yeah. So what's going to happen is, I'm not sure I'm not sure what the, where the branches of the thing lead up to, but it'll be Roma versus Manchester United. And no, it's not going to happen. If we follow what we just predicted, it'll be United against Juventus. So uh-huh. Pogba's maybe return to Old Trafford, okay. and Roma versus uh, Feyenoord. Yeah, yeah. No, no. yeah. yeah. I mean Roma Feyenoord versus Leverkusen Union. It should be Roma. Oh, oh sorry, Feyenoord against uh, whoever's the winner of the other one. Yeah. So, so the final, the final could though be uh, United against Roma. Yeah. yeah. It can be. And yeah. fun and fact, Mourinho's never lost the European final. I know. And and yeah, wouldn't that just be okay? <laughs> Please don't let Jose Mourinho win another bloody final. Um so meanwhile though, uh in Malaysia, Nicholas Anil, what's been happening here? Has somebody finally beaten JDT? No, unfortunately not. It's it's just been business as usual. Um another thumping win for them, six nil against Kadar at, at the weekend. So so that brings it to uh 36 goals in eight games. So they've averaged four and a half goals uh, per game. And that tells you all about the the Malaysian League this season. You know, it's been a one-team domination. And while it's been excellent, you know, uh, from from a JDT perspective, I think it it also strips away a lot of the excitement uh, because there isn't going to be a title race. You know, we're eight games in and I think the title's pretty much decided for, you know, JDT has played their so-called closest rivals, Slango, Kadar and Sabah and, and it's ended in two 4-0 victories and now a 6-0 victory. So, uh, you know, it's it's just going to be a case of the battle of the rest. There isn't even a relegation uh, dogfight to be concerned about this season because the league has actually uh, gone through a new format so relegation won't be affected this year so all we've got to play left to play is uh the battle to uh second place which is now occupied by slango and you have kada and, and pahang uh occupying the places below so jdt will just go marching on um and it just remains to be seen how many goals they can score and whether they can go through another season unbeaten uh, but for the rest you know it's just about picking up points uh when they face uh their opponents and yeah, that, that's pretty much it. For, from a JDT perspective, I would say they should be already gearing up for the Asian Champions League because that is where uh, their true uh, you know, uh, prowess can be can be shown on a bigger stage uh, on, on the domestic yeah, and, front. And, what do you, and how, do you think, how do you think they would uh, fare against Asia's top teams? Well, they've done well to reach the knockout stage uh, last season, but they still... They still uh, if you were to compare them to top teams in Japan and Korea, there is still some gap to be made up. But uh, if they are facing teams from Southeast Asia, uh, JDT is still very much in pole position. Yeah. So, Azran, meanwhile, in the fight for second, uh, how's KL City doing? Finally, uh, you should have joined me, Cam, because KL oh, yeah? finally won against Saba. It was a good game. Uh, oh, you didn't even go, Cam. I, was, I thought you were I supposed was, to join us, Azran. I, I, I was very tired. I got up right. very early. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can join me tonight. We are playing Pera uh, tonight, okay. so you can always join me tonight. But anyway, KL had their first win. Finally, it was a fantastic goal lobbed through by Saravanan. Uh, early goal to calm the nerves. And in unlike typical fashion of KL season this season, where they've led a number of matches and allowed the opponents to come back. This time around, KL managed to control the ball, played good possession football, and finally got their second, the last minute through Sean Janelli, uh, who's a Jenny man, his first goal for KL as well. So all smiles for KL. And as um, Nick mentioned, it's clearly a fight for second. You see, JDT has beaten the second place team at the moment, Slango convincingly, uh, Kedah convincingly. And these are not like one or two nil wins. These are four or five nil wins, right? And the only two unbeaten teams in the league at this point of time is JDT and Sri Pahang. And uh, it's a matter of time when Pahang plays JDT and get hammered <laughs> five or six nil, right? So uh, the test of JDT is obviously against the Koreans and the Japanese in the Champions League, which I think based on their pre-season form, because remember pre-season, JDT did pit themselves against a number of decent European teams like Levski, Sofia and whatnot and they did pretty well so I'm actually quite optimistic about JDT's um, run in the Champions League because last year people might say they were lucky because the group stages were played in Malay- in Johor and the fact that uh, the Chinese put an under-23 squad rather than their senior squad but this time around I think JDT might be able to go through again to the knockout stages which would be a good feat for yeah. Asian football nevertheless. Yeah. Well, on that note, we come to the end of uh, this week's show. And and if, Malaysian fans, you stay up to watch Malaysian football and you stay up to watch all the Champions Leagues, etc. that's happening, good luck trying to get some sleep this week. <laughs> so uh, it only remains me now to thank our pundits, Sean Mahotra. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you. I hope everyone has a great week of football. See you next week. <laughs> and Asran Rosane. Looking forward to getting tonight and the Champions League matches, of course, Europa as well. So, uh-huh. so see you guys soon and Nicholas Anil yeah hoping for a much better result uh, next week but uh, in the meantime enjoy the football everyone <laughs> and uh, myself Cam Raslan please join us next time on Just for Kicks here on BFM 89.9 Tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9 You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9 The Business Station For more stories of the same kind download the BFM app